0: McKinley Wright from the logo, got it, oh McKinley Wright, breaks a tackle, touchdown, touchdown, that's five for Chris Brown, the defense of Tomlinson, Colorado is going to the NCAA Tournament, Stewart with time, Let's it go, he's got three feet, Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm. And, um, this this might be a long one. There's, There's a lot that's going on today. Um, apparently, like, the news just doesn't break over the weekend. And I guess it's kind of like a long weekend with Martin Luther King Day. Um, so maybe we were just super backed up today. But, boy, was it a busy one. Um... Before we dig into that, here's here's a little side story. So, I, I've talked about the DNVR Madden League a couple of times on here before. Um, for those of you who weren't listening when we talked about it, but are listening today because, um, I mean, because duh. Uh, well... Basically what happened was like four years ago, there were some people who listened to the Broncos podcast who somehow like got together and organized this Madden league. For those of you who don't play video games, like the idea is everybody takes an NFL franchise and it's totally random rosters. Like there's a fantasy draft to start and then there's trades and free agency and you play through the seasons and you usually get through like seven of them. And then you get to the next game, which comes out every August and then you start fresh with the new game. Um, well, about the time the pandemic happened, uh, or it started, I guess. It's still going now somehow. Um, but right when it started, we found out about this. And so, like, five of us from DNVR joined. The Broncos guys hiked it up on their podcast, too. And so now there's, like, every team has somebody controlling it. There's, uh, like, a 10 or 15 people on the wait list. So whenever somebody drops out or gets too busy or whatever – then they get in. Um also like if you guys want onto the wait list, just let me know. You guys I mean like on Twitter or something, just tell me and I'll get you on there. It's all uh it's all the Xbox, so that's the one thing. Um other than that though, like yeah, definitely game. The point is it's trade deadline week and I all I've wanted to do all day like, is try to figure out how to get myself another damn cornerback, but it's every 10 minutes there's something else to do, and then something, something else to do, and something else to do. And so, uh, oh, what a day. What a day. I've been trying to think about cornerbacks. Well, no, actually, that's not true. I've been trying not to think about cornerbacks, but oh, here we are. So much news. So much stress. Long week in front of us. Um, we're not going to dig into any basketball today for obvious reasons. Um, quick notes, caller, or we we talked about the men's games. We haven't talked about the women's game yesterday when they uh, they got beaten overtime by Oregon State, um, which sucks because they were thirteen and zero and now they're thirteen and two. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. We'll talk more about just uh, you know the other. Other things that are going on basketball-wise tomorrow. But today, there's uh, so much football. It's crazy that we're three minutes in and I haven't said anything about it. But, uh, yeah. So, three new transfers. One is Chris Miller. Another is Josh Watts, the punter. And the third and final transfer... Well, final for today. Maybe not final overall. Is... Dimitri Stanley, who you know, he actually had a case for best player on the roster um, after some of these other departures. But we're gonna dig into all of that. Uh, also, got news that Brendan Rice is headed to USC, and uh, that makes him. Well, I guess that makes him the the third player that used to play for CU, that is now on CU's schedule. Uh, Makai Blackman announced that he has narrowed his schools down to USC, Utah, and Cal, and Colorado plays all three of those, so they'll face him wherever he winds up um, at some point next season. So that's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, I guess they could double up if he goes to USC, but assuming he isn't going to USC Buffs will play a a player who started for them last season in one-third of their games next year. There's a fun little storyline, and I don't think that... I mean, if you need extra motivation, then what are you doing playing Power 5 football? Especially next year when playing well means that you could carve out a role for the next three or four years because there's going to be so many young guys playing. But uh, if they did need a little extra motivation, boy, are they going to have that on the schedule. Um... Finally, Colorado wrapped up its uh, 2022 coaching staff – boy, years are hard um, – with Bill McGagan. So before we talk about who he is, let me say that there are – I think I found four different ways to pronounce his name on the internet. And depending on which website you go to, McGagan or McGogan or McGowan or whatever – can be pronounced different ways and different people have voted for which one is correct and it's different on all the websites. I went back to when he was at East Carolina, which was his most recent college job in 2016, and they, in their pronunciation guide, had him as Phil McGagan. So, hey... That's the best I've got. I'm sure at some point we're going to hear from him. Um, and I, at some point he's going to wind up in the CU pronunciation guide and all that kind of stuff. For now, we're going McGagan. For those of you who are curious, it's spelled M-C-G-E-O-G-H-A-N. We're going McGagan. And we're going to be saying McGagan a lot today because McGagan is a big piece of the Buffs News. Um, so, yeah. Uh Let's uh, let's knock out the, the two players transferring or, or the two people who are committing because those, those will be nice and quick. So, Brendan Rice going to USC. I actually heard that there were some hitches in that process. Uh, you may remember like a cryptic tweet from three or four days ago. I want to say around four days ago. And that cryptic tweet was something along the lines of like it, could be like a a blessing in disguise, God works a mysterious whatever, something like that. And at the time, it sounded like he wanted to go to USC, but there was potentially some behind-the-things that were going on that made that difficult. And um, I guess those all got sorted out. They were able to find a way. Um, And he will now be going to join Lincoln Riley's staff – or not the staff, Lincoln Riley's team – at USC. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying that he will probably get buried on the depth chart, those sorts of things. I'm curious. I'm curious what this will look like. I think it's notable. Obviously, Drake London was their best receiver last year. Um, Got hurt after eight games, but was still the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He was putting up 11 catches per game just an absurd number. Obviously, you remember what he did to Colorado. Specifically, hey, you guys might get a kick out of this. What he did to Christian Gonzalez when USC was at Colorado this year, where he basically just had like an 80-yard drive and made it pretty clear how that game was going to go. Ended with a one-handed touchdown in the side of the end zone with Christian Gonzalez in his face. Um, Just a freak wide receiver. And personally, I think the best receiver in the draft, but that's for the draft podcast and not for this podcast. Point is, he's gone, and he was getting easily the most targets on that team. Obviously. I mean, he was catching 11 balls a game. He winds up with just under 1,100 yards um, in in his eight games that he plays. Then you got others, 600, 579, 252, um, 116. You see it kinda of slipping and slipping. Uh there, there isn't a lot of depth. There's definitely room for somebody to come in and do something. On top of that, uh Brew McCoy, he I believe was hurt last year, but he figured to be one of the top options for USC last year. He's in the transfer portal now. And so you I don't think we've had a podcast since RJ Sneed committed, now that I think of it. We're going to have to talk about R.J. Snead, too. Sorry, a little off-topic there. There's one other piece. We'll get into R.J. Snead here in a bit. Uh, transfer from Baylor. But, yeah, back to Brew McCoy. He's in the portal, and he would have been kind of next up in my mind. I, I I know that Katie Nixon just went to USC and, and didn't really produce. He wasn't really involved with the offense, was barely involved with special teams. Um Brendan Rice is kind of a different beast, though, right? I mean, while KD did more in his time at Colorado, Brendan has just those elite physical tools. I mean, that's what drew Colorado fans to him in the first place. That's why he was a four-star recruit. Uh, Was he? I think he was four-star. If not, he was real close. And uh, that's, that's why Mel Tucker recruited him, and that's why he was a big piece of that 2020 class. Well, those sorts of traits combined with the coaching staff that USC has with Lincoln Riley there, it does seem like they're going to find a way to maximize him. And I know the numbers aren't great even when he was the number one receiver at Colorado, but we've we've been over this plenty over the course of the last six months. But I really don't think that I blame him too much for the lack of production. I do think that he's probably more raw than you'd like considering the, the role that he had in that offense. But again, I think that that's more on coaching, more on – the just general offensive struggles at quarterback and protection and the play calling and all those sorts of things. Um, I do think that he's going to be a piece of this rotation next year. Um, I think that if he winds up being a big piece, you know, if he goes for a 1,000 yards next year, he's going to the NFL and he's a top 50 draft pick. If he can hit that 750 mark, I think that he's probably – He's probably in good enough shape to make it worth going to the NFL draft. If he winds up short of that, then you see him come back for a fourth season. Um, that, that's my read right now. I'm going to hold firm with that. And I think that, you know, it's... You're you're betting on yourself when you transfer to USC. They've, they've got all sorts of different talent. When they have Lincoln Riley as the head coach... When they have Jackson Dart transferring out because he's scared Caleb Williams is gonna uh, transfer to there as the quarterback, like they're going to be just fine offensively. And the guys who play for this team are going to wind up getting drafted. You know, that's the way it goes. It's it's not it's not Bama, but Bama means that if you start, then what, seven of eleven on each side of the ball are going to be drafted in the first three rounds. And the other four are going to be sprinkled throughout the rest. Um, at USC, it's it's not so narrowly distributed within the top of the draft. And on top of that, it's it's going to take some time before Lincoln-Riley kind of takes hold, before they, they raise the level of that program to the point where they even get there. Um, you know, that's not where they are now. That's where they're going to be. Um, the point is, if you go to USC and you're one of their key receivers, you're going to get opportunities at the next level. But if you go to USC and you don't get any opportunities, well, obviously you're not going to make it to the next level. And that's where I, I, I have my doubts about this decision from, Bre- from Brendan. Um, I, I think that there is a really good case to be made that sticking at Colorado was the, the best option for him. Um, with that case being you're going to be the number one receiver here. And this offense will not remain this bad for two more seasons. I mean, it's not going to remain this bad for one more season. They, they were almost impossibly bad according to the metrics, especially the passing offense, and that's what matters to him. If, if he were to stay here and be the number one receiver for the next two seasons, he might not be drafted in Visca territory, but he's, uh, he's absolutely drafted. He's a fourth, fifth round pick probably at worst if he's the number one that long and a number one who brings in, you know, that 700 yards a year with the potential to do a lot more. When you're Brendan Rice, when you have the tools that he has, when you have the name that he has, I'm not sure that you need USC and and the risks that are associated with going to USC. Um, again, I don't want to knock the kid for his decision or anything like that, But I I do think that while the payoff is that if you're able to go win a job, you probably have Caleb Williams, a top three quarterback in the country, throwing you the ball. You have Lincoln Riley, a top three coach in the country, and probably the best offensive football mind alive right now, scheming that offense. You're at USC, which has a talent advantage over the rest of the Pac-12. Hey, if, if you are able to win a job there, things are going to go really well and you've got an easy path to the first round. I think that this is probably him betting on himself. I, I think that the bet on yourself is to go to USC and not to stick at Colorado. Because again, the path to the NFL for Brendan Rice through CU, very simple. Very, very simple. Um, through USC, it's a little bit tougher, but but potentially with more reward on the end. You know, we saw it happen with Visca. I guess it was... Injuries most likely that knocked him out of the first round, but the fact that he wasn't drafted in the first round was probably a part, f- probably stemmed from him playing at Colorado. You know, if he was being himself at another school, I don't think that teams have some of the same doubts that they do. And maybe, it, maybe I am misreading that. That's the probably the take I've had all day that I'm least confident in, but you know, there's there is. A little bit of a stigma coming from a program that struggled the way Colorado struggled recently. Um, so, there's all my thoughts on Brendan Rice to USC. On top of, you know, if that doesn't fire you up next season, then I get off the team. You know, like if you're not the quarterback who wants to go pick on Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman and Mark Perry, like you just don't have the mentality to win football games. Like, you, you got to be able to use this stuff as fuel. And I think that. You know, it's kind of like rivalry games in the NFL, right? I mean, I guess at all levels. Um, But when you have the Bears and the Packers, it doesn't matter how good the Packers are and how bad the Bears are. The Bears are going to give them the game because that's just the way that rivalry works. And it's the same thing with with all these rivalries. You know, Oregon, Oregon State, we've seen it over and over and over again. Oregon State upsetting Oregon and really changing how that season is remembered. I, I... I think that that sort of energy will exist when Colorado plays Brendan Rice and when it plays Makai Blackman Christian Gonzalez. Because you know what? The truth is J.T. Shrout has had practices where he's picked apart Christian Gonzalez and where he's picked apart Makai Blackman. Now, it may not have been every practice and it may have been very few of them, but it's happened before and he knows that he can do it. And and Brendan Lewis has probably had those practices too. I mean, he's had a lot more practices because he stayed healthy. So you'd have to think some of those he won. Um, you know, the, the, the DBs, even the young ones, I mean, in fact, maybe even more so the young ones who are spending more time going up against the number one offense, you know, they've, they've made plays against Brendan Rice too. There's a, I don't want to say the buffs are scared when they typically go play USC or Oregon or whoever, but I think that when you're knowing that you're an underdog, it is easier to say, Hey, we practiced against that guy every day. Sure. He's good, but he's not. Unbeatable, like they're not just whatever. So I I think that that's kind of a factor here too. And for that reason, you know, I almost, I almost like seeing some of these guys in the Pac-12. Sure, it means that the talent is going from your program to a program you're going to play, which obviously is not a good trade-off, something for nothing. But you have to remember that if if USC doesn't pull in Brendan Rice, they're pulling in some other receiver from the portal. It's not like that scholarship is going unused. So you might as well have it be somebody who I think kind of the the intangible stuff benefits you because you are the underdog. And it does give you something to kind of cling on to. Um, so there, there's my Brendan Rice thoughts. In terms of Makai Blackman, um, interested to see where he goes, right? I, I I think if you put me in his shoes, that's a really tough decision Um, because each, each school that he's looking at comes with some real pros for him. And again, like I know I have a different relationship with these guys than you typically do. I I know some of you are boosters or parents or whatever, and you you know, these kids, but a lot of the people listening are fans. Whereas I have spent a lot of time talking to Makai over the course of the last three years. And, you know, DMing him and those sorts of things. And and Brendan a little bit too, but he hasn't been here quite as long, got here during the COVID year, all that sort of stuff. Um, but with Makai, you know, as much as you say, uh, you're you're now the enemy, you're the rival, you're all these different things. And, and I heard that there was some stuff going on in Instagram Live. I actually st- tweeted a screenshot from that, but I was on a different show. I was on our pregame show before the playoff games on Saturday. And so I wasn't able to actually hear what was being said. I just got the notification that Makai and Brendan and Montana Lemonious Craig were on an Instagram Live together. I was like, oh boy, well... Yesterday, Mackay was on there from Rice Eccles Stadium where Utah plays. Wonder what he's doing today. It's like, oh, he's uh, he's at uh, USC Stadium, and I was like, okay, just just wait till you can see the the USC headband he's wearing and take a screenshot, post that to Twitter. So I didn't actually hear what was being said, but I guess that they they were trashing CU. I heard something about like not wearing the clothes or or something like that. Um, you know that's. Obviously, never a good look at all. Um, so, so whatever that was, withstanding, you know, Makai, he he did follow more of like a typical path. He he's going to get his degree at CU, then be go get a graduate degree um, wherever he winds up. And because I know him, I, I kind of will be pulling for him, even though I know like you're, he's he's going to the rival. He's whatever, blah blah blah. Um, and I am excited to see where he ends up because when you recognize where Colorado is as a program, for somebody like Makai, it is exciting to be able to say, hey, you're going to go join a really good Utah defense, and you're going to be an important piece of a good team, and I'm excited for him in that regard. And it'd be really nice if that was possible at Colorado. Um, But, you know, after Christian Gonzalez leaves, after Mark Perry leaves, it's tough to believe that that defense is going to be as good as it was last year, especially when you lost Nate Landman and Carson Wells to the draft anyway. You lost Mustafa um, to the end of his eligibility. Uh, plus, the offense is going to put the defense, or did put the defense in bad situations last year. And, you know, the coaching staff has absolutely been upgraded. The talent on the roster, I'm not so sure. Quarterback position, at least you have competition. And so maybe that raises it with the coaching and undoes the, the lack of talent. Whatever. The point is. If Mackay goes to to play for USC and and plays well, there's a good chance that he's going to get shot in the NFL because I mean Pro Football Focus graded him out as the Buff's second best defender last season, um, behind Carson Wells. The year before that, he was the the fourth best cover corner in the Pac-12 by Pro Football Focus. He's a good player, and he's put on some weight in the last couple years, and because of that, I I think that he he will get a chance. Pro- Getting drafted would be tough. He'd need a really great season. But again, if you go to Utah, you're going to get a little bit more attention. And they've been putting defensive backs in the NFL. So, I don't know. Putting myself in his shoes, first of all, you have Utah, which is just a really good defense. And, and you go join that defense and say, hey, I, I realize that they have big guys in the trenches. I know they've got good linebackers. The offense will find a way to run the football. Cam Rising last year, the quarterback, took some big steps and he's fairly mobile, and that offense is going to be fine. This defense, we can get up to championship level, and we can give it a good run next year. And if he chooses that, I I think you understand. You know, if he chooses USC, and again, it's USC, and as much as we like to bash USC for all the things that USC is, there's a lot of talent there, and it's Lincoln Riley. And they have the whatever history that they have, and they're – I mean, you know what comes along with USC. It's LA, and you you play in the Coliseum and blah, blah, blah. There's a chance that they're really good, too, and you could see why he'd want to go be there. Especially, I mean, again, it's just reputational stuff, right? Like, if you're the DB from USC versus the DB from Colorado, the, the initial little piece of bias in the back of the NFL's brains is going to be, oh, athlete. He's an athlete. USC only gets the best of the best. This isn't some, you know, whatever kid who, who grew and developed and whatever, especially when you get to be Makai Blackman and kind of jump onto the scene by going in there at your best. Um, and if he chooses USC, I think that decision would be obvious as well, like why he would do it. Um, and when it comes to Cal, uh, he's, he's from Northern California, and so he'd, he'd be close to home. He's got one more year of college football. Um, again, they've, they've had solid defenses in the past. i they aren't competing for the Pac-12 title in the same way that Utah and USC should be. Um, but, you know, you're near family. You probably have a lot of family, a lot of friends at every game. And if that's your last year playing football, playing in front of your friends and family is a pretty good way to go out, especially just so close to home. Um, so there's some thoughts on Makai as well. Um, curious to see where he ends up. Interesting to see that Brendan goes to USC. I mean, not all that surprising. Only surprising because I thought that there was some some trouble behind the scenes making all that fit. Um, but oh, let's talk about the guys who are actually, oh, there's actually, there's three more guys you got to talk about who aren't going to be buffs. Real quick. Uh, Want to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery. You know how much I love doing that. Um, I love Breckenridge beers. You know what, it is, it is late tonight. Oh, I don't think I have any. Oh, yes, I do. So so I actually have some beers left over from those Buffs tailgates in the back of my car, and uh, I might need to crack one of those open. I know, like, for all of us, it's been an emotionally long day, but it's also been, like, an emotional day f- for my finger. Wow, what am I even saying? I'm so tired at this point. The point is a lot of texting, a lot of typing, a lot of thinking. A lot of reading messages and trying to understand what's going on and why and who's happy and who's not happy and the answer is everybody has very mixed feelings. The point is, nothing can solve a very stressful day like sitting back trying to trade for a damn cornerback in this Madden league with a strawberry sky in my hand. Um, you guys know how much I love the strawberry sky. Nah, it's it's just a great beer and I know like there's there's a stigma right. Like, you, you're the, the man with the pink beer, and everybody thinks it's funny. But this one's different because it's not super strawberry-y. It's not too sweet. It's actually, like, a, I, I can't explain what makes the, like, your Bush like Coors Light, whatever, taste not good. But it has, like, that very light feeling. Um, but it comes with just, like, a hint of strawberry. So it's just, like, a good, solid, uh, I. Can't, oof. Beer words. Beer words. Beer words are tough for me. Uh, Sounds like a guy who drinks a lot of Strawberry Skies, right? No. The point is, they're really good beers. But if you're you're not into it, you're not into it. You can go get yourself a Vanilla Porter, the Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale. So many different beers. Just make sure you're getting your hands on them. They're they're giving 1% of the profits to the National Parks Conservation Association. Uh, They've... They know it's not necessarily like helping this particular fire that happened in Boulder. Uh, Thoughts and prayers still with all of you guys. I know we haven't talked about that in a while. It's still, still feels like every day that it's just like, wow, how is, how did, how did that happen? Um, but they, they help to prevent forest fires in national parks, to help when those happen there. But then also, like, the other things that go along with it. Uh, it's a good group to support. They support them. It's a great partnership that they've had. In the same way they have partnerships with all sorts of, like, the sports things that happen here. The Avs and the Broncos and the Nuggets and the, the Colorado Buffaloes, notably for this podcast, but also with us. And we love to support them, uh, especially when they're giving money to, to good causes that we appreciate. Um, so, so definitely get your hands on one of those, whether it's at the bar, whether it's at the grocery store. Just just make sure you do it. Also, uh, gotta tell you guys, and this is, this is a new one. This is a new one. Uh, last week we were talking about the, the, the deals that were going on with the uh, wild, wild card games. Well, now... We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with a huge odds boost for new customers. We're counting down to Super Bowl 56, and you can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. All you got to do, bet $5, get $280 in free bets if your team wins. If you're not a new customer, you still have awesome options for the divisional round. Like same game parlays. That means you combine multiple bets from the same game and get a bigger payout. So, like, if you want to take, uh, what what would I didn't have any hit this week. Big surprise, right? Like me, the the great better. But um, oh, I had one that was if the Patriots win. And it was like the, the sack numbers and all that sort of stuff. But but you combine like the sacks with the rushing yards for this guy, with the passing guards with this guy, with the, oh, they score first, but they win, but the lead is this. So, so you can combine as many things as you want from so many different categories. There's hundreds and hundreds of options for every game. You just pick two that you like or six that you like or whatever, Obviously, the more you put together, the more money you win. Those same game parlays are awesome. They make watching games so much fun, especially if you just want to bet, like, $2 and try to win $100. Um, but DraftKings is safe, it's secure, it's reliable. And best of all, you can deposit, withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. All you got to do, bet $5 and win $250. Sorry, 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DNVR for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, back into uh, the... Uh, Three guys who uh, announced that they were entering the transfer portal today. First of all, Chris Miller. Uh, Chris Miller, I think that if you were to say he transfers at the end of the season, you know, if if we realized this was happening a month ago, we look at it differently. At that point, you say, yeah, that's fine. Probably figured he was going to be gone anyway. Um, Decided he wants to try one more year of football. Cool, but open up the scholarship, sure. Sure. And the reason you think that isn't because he's a bad football player. He's been pretty solid in the times he's been on the field. But he's played four games in the last two seasons because of injuries. He's had I think Brian said. Brian said that he'd ended each of the last four seasons with an injury. Um I mean that's it's been the 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 story of his career, which is sad and you're rooting for him to get healthy, and you really hope that that he's able to get a, a good healthy season. And who knows, maybe he does, and he gets a chance in the next level, whatever. But from a CU perspective, you look at it and say, we've got Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman and Mark Perry, plus all these young guys that we really like who can fill in the other spots. Isaiah Lewis, you throw in there too. And at that point, you say, let's open up the scholarship. Let's not take the gamble on whether Chris is healthy, because if he is healthy, he's probably, if not a starter, he's our nickel guy. He's probably one of our top five if he's healthy. Um, but there's a chance he's not. And there's a chance that he gets surpassed anyway. Uh, so might as well just let one of these young guys play and Chris, wish you well with our entire heart, but let's use that scholarship on the offensive line or something. Now it's tougher to evaluate his departure um, because... You almost, you almost needed to take that gamble, right? Um, you know, I'm excited about the young DBs that Colorado has, and we've talked about this a lot, and we've talked about it in different contexts. You know, during the season when the the recruiting is is a struggle, and they're pulling in these three stars, some guys who don't have other Power Five offers, whatever. The one thing that I would point out when all that was happening, and obviously, like you're not recruiting at the level you'd like to be recruiting. Uh, at the end of the day, you want four stars and five stars because you just need that level of size and strength and whatever else. But when you look at last year's recruiting class, you pulled Kylan Moore out of it. You pulled Nico Reed out of it. You pulled Tyron Taylor out of it. Uh, Trevor Woods was looking good too. And and you see these young, talented defensive backs so early in their careers making plays when they're given opportunities. And that is really exciting and makes you think that, hey, sure, they're whatever, three stars according to the people who are in charge of giving out the stars, but they also look like they're probably better football players than we anticipated initially. And so you have that class of, of cornerbacks, and, and like Trevor Woods is a safety, Tyron Taylor, star of the season at cornerback, flip to safety... They cross train all these positions, and so wherever the need is, it's. I, I would guess that's where Tyron Taylor go, goes. Um, plus you add three more cornerbacks. They actually just signed a fourth cornerback in this year's class, and so, plus their their top recruit is a uh, a safety, and so you have those young DBs with last year's young DBs, and you also have Isaiah Lewis who really broke out. He, he was somebody who the Mike McIntyre staff didn't really value all that highly. But then Mel Tucker comes to town and Mel's staff is like, Oh wow, this guy's really good. This guy, we got to get him on the field any way we can. And they play him a lot and he plays pretty well. And he did take a little bit of a step back last season, I thought, but still, I mean, he's a senior defensive back who, who's played some really good ball in his day. And, you know, under Mel, he was kind of the fixer. You, you could put him at the star, free safety, strong safety, whatever, and he would make it work. I think he's probably best at strong safety, maybe at the star in, in certain situations. You know, when when you think the offense is running the ball, sim, is the simple way to put it. Um, maybe you put him at the star. Um, but he's he's involved. You have Nigel Bethel, who was the number three cornerback last year, got hurt after, I think, four games Um, but he, he played really well before that happened. Um, he, he was behind Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman. So he was typically drawing the number three receiver, but he was able to lock the number three receiver down. Um, and that was when this defensive group specifically the secondary really looked good, um, was when you had those three. You know, Nigel's the guy that during practices for a year and a half, really, the coaching staff would just say, oh, wow, he's he's always around the ball. The ball just finds him somehow. And then he finally cracked the lineup and played well. Now he's probably your number one, number two corner, depending on whether one of these young guys really pops. Um, you've got Isaiah Lewis to patch one of the safety spots. You have four more positions, really, that you just have to see who's able to step up and take those roles. Um, wouldn't be surprised for sure if they add another corner, add another safety from the portal. I think that that would obviously make a lot of sense just to provide a little bit more stability instead of totally banking on those guys because the bus potential for your secondary right now is high. Like the, I think that that might be the widest variance of any group on the team in terms of the outcomes in 2022. You could see all those young corners really, really stepping up and playing really well. You know, Trevor Woods at safety looked good, too, um, in the couple of games that he was out there before he got hurt uh, toward the end of the season. Um, You could see how that could be a really, really, really good group. Um, And it may be one where there's plays they miss next year where you're like, oh, what were you thinking? But at the end of the year we're saying, okay, 2023, this secondary is going to be one of the best in the Pac-12. There's also a world where these freshmen, you know, they caught whatever they caught and and played well, and they looked better because they were playing next to Christian Gonzalez and Makai Black, whatever. And you just don't have enough guys who are ready to play next year, and you wind up giving some big plays because of it. And when you go into the season saying, hey, we don't know what to expect – I think you probably have to go to the portal and try to add somebody. Um, and that's where, you know, when, when you don't know what to expect, is Chris Miller necessarily the guy that you want to have, the guy that you would add? No, because you don't know what to expect from, from him. You know, he isn't somebody who at this point in his career provides stability um, because you just don't know whether he's going to be there. However, I do think that it would be nice if he was there and... Just because there's a chance that he could give you something you don't have. There's a chance he stays healthy and plays well. Um, So this is a tough one to lose. You know, there's, there's a lot of these guys who you can say, Brendan Rice sucks to lose him. Christian Gonzalez sucks to lose him. Makai Blackman um, sucks to lose him. A lot of the guys you look at and say, Hey, this is good attrition. You need to open up that scholarship. There was a 15% chance this guy was ever going to be a, a real contributor for Colorado. Um, give me a scholarship to give to a freshman or to a portal guy instead um but you know we talked about this with kanan ray the guard who you know started a few games rotated in a few games was he a factor was he not a factor um it's probably somebody you're like yeah we'd rather have a scholarship but having the question marks you have on the offensive line it's like yeah maybe maybe you would like to keep him around just to compete i don't know Um, and I think Chris Miller fits into that category where was this the coaching staff kind of nudging him saying, Hey, yeah, you should play one more year. Um, we're, we're excited for you, but we think that you, we think we'll probably go another direction. Or is this one where, where Chris Miller says, you know what I want out of here. I want to, I have whatever going on that I have going on. I want to, whatever whose decision really was it. This is a tough one to say. Um, Speaking of that, you know, Josh Watts, the punter, uh, punted really well this year. This was one that was the, the coach's decision more so than the players. Um, he was brought over from Australia. They gave him basically a two-year scholarship that the agreement was basically punt for us for two years and then go do your thing at the next level. It sounds like he might not transfer to another school. He might wind up just just going um, and and trying his pro chances, um, but the staff was ready for Ashton Logan to come in. Um, Ashton Logan, he gray shirted last year because they had uh, Josh Watts, um, big guy, good punter. Um, don't know what he's like. He isn't. I don't think he's quite the same prospect that uh, that um, Cole Becker was at kicker, but he's pretty close to it. And and I'm not worried about this one, especially. I mean. Especially because I think right now Colorado has two scholarships open. Would you really be using one of those scholarships on punter? Do you want another lineman or another linebacker or another corner or safety or whatever? Like you you can't have two punters on scholarship given the way this roster is built right now, which is really, 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 really young, just unbelievably young. Um, again, and could that pay off two, three years from now? Yeah. Definitely, but again, CU fans are upset because they thought that the the ascension was starting, you know, two years ago. And obviously, feelings have changed toward Mel. But after Mel's first year, the the vibes were, okay, this was the five and seven year. Next year, we get to six or seven. The year after that, we get to seven or eight or maybe nine. And the year after that, who knows? Maybe we compete for the Pac-12. Um, but you come in, you have a good year with Carl. This year happens with all the problems and. Injuries and terrible coaching and those sorts of things. And you wind up sitting where you are now and saying, Coming off a four win year, young team, let's see what happens in twenty twenty four, twenty twenty three, uh, which is just not fun. Still though, I mean Josh Watts did some good things. It was time to cycle through to the to the young guy. Um Uh, final, final transfer for entry today, transfer portal entry today is Dimitri Stanley. And we saved the best for last. Um, Dimitri's a good player. He's, he's one of the the two Was a, it's just so hard to evaluate him and where he's at right now, given that he was hurt for half of last season, you know, going into the season, he was a top half of the PAC 12 slot receiver um he was he was chosen to speak on behalf of the offense at Pac-12 media day it was him and Nate who went down there and i got to spend some time with those guys cuz obviously there aren't a, a lot of media from colorado who go down to Pac-12 media day um definitely fit the leadership vibe you know i i think that He's probably one of the smartest guys that I talked to. Him and Mark Perry, and there's others too, but those two really stand out, and they're both gone. Um, Just super, super bright. And I think that that's a, a piece that that obviously is valuable. I think that he would have been one of the leaders on this team. Uh, Was potentially the best talent remain, remaining on the team. Talent is a weird word. Let's just say best football players remaining on the team. You know, obviously, you got to throw Cole Becker in there, honestly. But but outside of that, you know, you run through the offense who's left. Like, Alex Fontenot could maybe be comparable. I'd probably give the edge to Dimitri. Um, receivers, just nobody else proven enough. Offensive line, let's not go down that road. Brady Russell, I guess, would be in that conversation. Um, defensively, you look at Terrence Lang, Jalen Sami, um, yeah, so Dimitri Stanley, I think I probably would have given the edge to Terrence as best player on the team, but Dimitri's right there, and you could give it to him too. If not for the injuries, you probably would have expected him to, to take that role. Um, the point of all this is to say that this is, this is a significant loss. Um, Buffs are now down five receivers since the end of the season, or I guess Vontae entered right before the end of the season, so four since the end plus Vontae. Um, Keith Miller, Chris Carpenter... Uh, Keith Miller didn't see the field in his two seasons. When he leaves, again, it's a appreciate all you've done, wish you luck, but also, you know, the odds of him being a significant contributor, like maybe his senior year, he he turns out to be a, a solid role player. Again, use that use that scholarship elsewhere. Use that scholarship elsewhere. Um, Chris Carpenter, you know, I think when, when he transferred, you say, well... You're you're a slot receiver. You're behind Dimitri Stanley, who has two years of eligibility left. Um, you're behind Jalen Jackson. You know, Chase Penry might do better in the slot than we than, than outside really. We might like to play him more there in the future. It's not that you're a bad player. You've you've gotten on, you've you've made a couple plays when you've been in games, but we have so many receivers. Eh, you know, let's it's all we're alright opening up a scholarship here for sure. Um, that, that may have even been ideal now you look at it and say ah Chris Carpenter would he have competed with Jalen Jackson for the starting slot role will somebody else compete like ah, well he he could have factored in um, and, and that loss again looks a little bit worse in hindsight but they brought in RJ Sneed if they bring in one more receiver then all of a sudden you don't think about Chris Carpenter again um, Brendan Rice went down that road that's a loss. That's definitely a loss. Um, who am I missing? Uh, oh, Vante, of course. Uh, that You're you're fine with it. It was time to part ways there. Um, he needs a fresh start, and he will get that. I think he went to South Alabama, right? So, FCS. I think that that's a, a place for him to have a chance to rebound and uh, wish him well there. Uh, and then Dimitri Stanley. It's a tough loss. It's a really tough loss. Again, maybe not the most explosive receiver and he is really fast and I don't think he was maximized. And I think there is a chance that he really does break out wherever he goes. Um, especially because you look at Mark Perry, right? You know, the way that Mark Perry came on at the end of last year, I think that Dimitri Stanley had played just a step above where Mark was. And who knows if he had played that whole season, then maybe he like Mark would taken that one more step at the end of the year. So now we're saying like Mark, you have two years left and you might be a really good football player. Um still gotta go do it and prove it and probably take one more step to be that guy, but um Stanley Stanley's the loss. Uh the point is, lose five guys. You now have uh what, your your leading returning receiver. I guess if, if we're talking any position, it's uh Brady Russell and we're not talking any position. We're talking about wide receivers. So your leading returning receiver is Montana Lamonius Craig. And again, this is another one of the guys who I've spent a lot of time with and talked to quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm excited for him. And I say that to say like, you know, I, I might see him through a little bit rose colored glasses, just being honest, you know, you can either not be biased or you can, well, that's unrealistic. So you just say it. I, I really like Montana. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy. He's made a couple plays, and if he's your number one receiver, which I don't think he will be, but we'll get to that in a second. He's not going to be the the best number one in the Pac-12, that's for sure. But I'm not worried about it. Um, he's he's going to be very solid in that position. You know, you also have Chase Penry back for his second season. This was Montana's second season, but obviously COVID changes the the counting. Technically, he's going to be a sophomore. Um, but but Chase Penry. Um, great route runner, tough. Um, he took a couple of hits last year that you're just like, holy hell, poor guy, poor guy. And then I talked to him about it, and he's just like, oh yeah, you know, it's football. You just get up and and good. It's like, well, have you ever been hit like that, that before? No, never been hit like that before. And it's like you're you're good, right? Yeah, it's football. Just next man, all that stuff. He's he's a tough kid. He's talented. He's another big guy. Um, I'm I'm excited about him too. And then Ty Robinson, the basketball player, comes in number three, um, just in front of Levante Chenault. And and again, he was a true freshman last year. Actual true freshman last year. Um, above the rim type of player. Y- you would like to have a little bit older group, just because those guys are experienced and all that stuff, but I, uh... Again, I think you could do a lot worse. I think you could do a lot worse. And, again, in 2023, with another year of experience under these guys' belts, you're like, okay, this is going to be a really good group now. 2024, they have potential to be the best group or one of the best groups in the Pac-12. Um, so, you know, it's... it's the, the concern is the Mark Perry thing, in my opinion, um, where... He comes out, He's his first year he's behind Davion Taylor, and he flashes a couple times but doesn't get to play all that much because Davion's mostly on the field, and you know he's fast, you know he was one of the top recruits in that class. He makes a couple plays, and you say, oh, this guy's going to be special. Well, Davion moves on, and Mark, the next season, 2020, uh, he's he's the guy, and he's got play every down. And the truth is, he's, he's young, and he's just not ready for it. Um, he, he makes some plays for sure. But because fans are seeing him every single snap, it's like, ah, there's a mistake. There's a mistake. Uh, it's it's not ideal. It's obviously not ideal. And because of that, the the perception of him gets skewed a little bit. Um, and then, then this season, he grows throughout the season and winds up with, what, three interceptions in the last four games? Um, he played really, really well at the end of the season and and really did take a step. But because he he'd had that path that he had, kind of struggling in 2020, struggling a bit early in this season as well, and and still like it's not like he was the perfect player at the end. He missed tackles, he he he, he had a couple of mistakes, but he turned out to be a a solid Pac-12 safety by the last three four games of the year, um, with two years of eligibility left is the big thing. You know, if he was playing at USC or he was playing at Washington, and I guess not anymore, um, but he's playing at USC or playing at Michigan or Ohio State or BAM or Georgia, well, he wouldn't even be seeing the field till next year anyway. And because he wouldn't be seeing the field till next year anyway, the fans wouldn't have had this really roller coaster where it was like, ah, well, he could be a little bit better. And that's why for him, I'm really excited for him to get to go to TCU. I'm excited for him to have a fresh start where he's going to step in and just be a good football player. And fans will know him as a good football player. And he'll make his mistakes, but he'll also make a bunch of plays because he has gotten a lot better. And again, especially for these non-glory positions like safety. and People like safeties, but they're really hard to pay attention to and get a good read on. You know, if a quarterback is good or bad, everybody knows. A running back, it's really easy to look at the numbers and be like, ah, oh, good game, nope, bad game, whatever. Uh, receivers, same thing. But but when it comes to the down-to-down, got to gotta lock in on Mark Perry at the back end there. What's he doing? It's, it's a lot tougher to change some of those perceptions. And so for him getting to step in and just kind of have that fresh start, it makes sense. The point of this, we'll wrap back around to these receivers. If these young guys struggle next year, then, I mean, it doesn't mean that they're bad players, you know? That just means that they were potentially too young to have the roles that they had, but it also means that having those reps under their belt will probably expedite their development at least a little bit. Um, And so, again, this is more of a before-the-season-starts type of conversation than a eight-months-before-the-season-starts conversation. But maybe temper the expectations, but also remember that not just the receivers, so much of this team is going to progress throughout the season from 2022 to 2023, and a lot of them from 2023 to 2024, some from 2024 to 2025, just incomprehensible. I think they don't, don't the Buffs play Florida in 2025? That's always crazy to me. Like I remember, uh, so, so you guys actually might remember this, Montana, where I went to school, they beat Washington this season. Well, last year they played Oregon. Um, that game was not competitive, but I remember being like, I must've been 10, 11. I remember being in like my cousin's basement in Missoula getting ready to go to a game and him saying like, oh yeah, they just scheduled Oregon and, and thinking like, wow, 2020 or 2019, or I think it was 2019. That is so far away. That's that game is never going to happen. But then now here we are. And that's kinda of how that Florida game is, where it's like these kids, some of them who will be on the field next year, will be playing in those Florida games. But yeah. Um point is young receivers, you you've got some some good talent there, some really good talent. It's a little bit raw though. Would have been nice to be able to instead of say those guys are I and mean, they're not they're not one, two, three. We'll get to RJ Sneed in a second. But two, three and four probably. It it would be really nice to be able to say, Ah, the, let's do uh let let's make them four, five, six or even five, six, seven next year. Um I guess they probably wouldn't have gotten Sneed. They'd probably be four, five, six, right? No, three, four, five behind Brendan and Dimitri. Just a role that makes more sense and competition for that number three spot. And they probably rotate five guys in anyway, but there's more talent behind those three. Daniel Arias was really solid last year. Um, He has a year of eligibility left. Um, Jalen Jackson, like I said, he'll have one more year. Maurice Bell will have another year. Uh, Unless, did he redshirt last year? He might have two. I think, no, I think he has one. Um, Point is, they got some veteran guys in there too. So, there's all that stuff. Um, Let me throw one more out there. R.J. Sneed is joining the team. And maybe it'd make more sense to dig into him tomorrow because we're already going long and haven't gotten to the coach, um, McGagan. Um, but real quick, R.J. Sneed, he is a receiver from Baylor. He has one year of eligibility left, which I, again, think makes a lot of sense. You want to get some scholarships off the books. Right now, Colorado has those two scholarships, and it really makes you think about, how they're going to use them and honestly why they need more players to transfer. And you're getting to the point where it really doesn't matter who transfers because a lot of the players you didn't want to lose are already gone. So you're just, if, if I'm Carl Durrell, we are working hard during spring ball um, in these workouts for spring ball. And only the guys who are really working their ass off and really want to go through the grind to get through this camp are still going to be around. And the rest you're scaring off into the portal. Cause again, you've, you don't have many guys you aren't that you're worried about losing at this point. Um and knowing Carl and them, I don't think that there's any at this point that they if you can't cut it, then you just can't cut it, you know? Um point is one year of eligibility for, for RJ Sneed. He uh comes from Baylor. Um he's in twenty twenty was a uh was second team all Big 12 is a receiver. Like he's a talented guy. Um, he is proven, and he's six foot He plays bigger than that though. So, you know, I I honestly think that, like, it's let's let's call him a poor man's Visca. Um, the the way that he he's able to move after the catch, the plays that he can make after the catch. You know, he's a big, strong runner. He's fast too. Um, pretty pretty agile. Again, to expect anybody to be LaVisca Chenault is totally unreasonable. But if you're looking for the mold of player, I, th- I think that that's where he fits in. I think that there's a chance that he's, he's even better than Visca in terms of the sideline catches. That's really what stands out when you watch him. Um, the, the ability to go up and get balls in windows that look like they don't exist. The like it looks like he's three yards out of bounds and is somehow able to get up high enough to get the ball over the defender and get a foot down in bounds. It's pretty freaky stuff. And again, if, if you're if you're asking Carl Durrell to evaluate a position, you want it to be the receivers. And so when you see the flashes like that on tape and you know that Carl Durrell signed off on him, that's exciting. Now it could be that they couldn't land whoever else and he really isn't their their top choice. When you watch him play, it is a really exciting brand of football. And then the, he's, he's a big-time playmaker, whether it's down the field, specifically on the sidelines, but but contested catches really everywhere, um, or also just uh, getting the ball and moving after the catch. Honestly, maybe a better comp just because he isn't quite so tanky as Visca was. You know, Visca probably had half an inch and, and 15 to 20 pounds on him. Again, RJ can still break those tackles. Maybe that's the poor man's version. Um, that That's where it really comes into play is just a little bit of the size and, and what that means for the tackle breaking and, and those sorts of things. Um, a better comp might just be Brendan Rice, honestly, because um, he has those big plays. The the, the ability to go Moss cornerbacks, um, the, the ability to return kicks and do those sorts of things, though so I'd be really surprised if they have him doing that. Um but obviously with some, some proven production in his background, he was, like I said, second team, all Big 12, but also maybe not with quite the same physical tools that Brendan had. Um, probably somebody you look at and say, Brendan, higher ceiling, but also Brendan quite a bit lower floor, just because we don't know what he's capable of. I, I, I still think that Brendan is going to be a really good football player. The truth is he has less than 500 receiving yards in his career and and maybe some of that is on him. More of that is on him than we give credit for, just because of the struggles that the quarterback had and the offense as a whole had and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm excited about RJ Sneed. I will say that. And I do think that he he kind of slots in as your wide receiver one, um, which is what they needed. I'd, I'd be curious to see whether they add another receiver. Um if they did i would expect it to be somebody who has one or two years of eligibility i mean, you, you could probably handle two years of eligibility with daniel arias moving on next year um yeah but obviously with two scholarships you're saying we have bigger needs elsewhere unless there there are probably four more five more if there's if there's five more players who transfer out i bet you probably go for a receiver in there um if if it turns out that you're losing five guys and they're all quarterbacks, well, hell, then you better go get some quarterbacks too. So it all depends on those sorts of things. Um, But by bumping Montana and uh, Daniel Arias and and Chase Penry and Ty Robbins, that whole competition down to the, for the two spot and the three spot and four and five, and that's kind of your five man rotation. That, that feels a lot better than having that be for number one. RJ Sneed though. I'm really excited. And, and I really do think that he is is a very talented player. Um, who may. I mean, there's that thing about receivers where, where you're looking, it's like, is, is he fast? Can he run routes? Does he get separation? But also sometimes guys just make weird catches and they catch way more passes than they should. And, you know, I think back to like Brandon Lloyd when he was playing with Kyle Orton with the Broncos. It's just like, how was that man so good? Somehow he just always got his hands on the ball and he always brought it in. And, and R.J. Snead has some of that. Now, it also means that you probably have to throw some riskier passes, right? If, if you're, um, what, Tom Brady only throwing to open receivers or those sorts of things, it just doesn't quite work out as well. At some point, you need to, to lob some up and let him make some plays. That's something that Brendan Lewis struggles with. Uh, if he's the starter next year, then you wonder how he'll acclimate. I think later in the season, he was more willing to do those sorts of things. Lob balls up for Brendan, um, for Daniel Arias. But is JT Shrout more willing to do that? Does, does Maddox Cop come in and win the job? And Maddox is the guy who does that. I don't know. Um, but I do think that that's a part of his game that needs to be utilized. Um, so there's RJ Sneed. Um, let's wrap it up with Phil McGagan, um, which sounds... Phil McGagan. Phil, My, Phil McGagan. But Phil McGagan, the new wide receivers coach. He is the final piece of the coaching staff, um, and we can run through those names. Let's, let's do that real quick. Let's run through these names, and then we'll really dig into Phil McGagan. Head coach, obviously, Carl Durrell. Uh, Mike Sanford will be your offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Darian Hagan, back to coach of running backs. Uh, wide receivers coach, Phil McGagan, The tight ends coach slash passing game coordinator, Clay Patterson. Um, he comes over. He was the tight ends coach with Minnesota, Mike Sanford was the OC there, and now Sanford gets fired there, gets hired by Colorado. He brings Clay Patterson over, probably with a pay raise to go along with that passing game coordinator title. Now he's there. Kyle DeVan, now the offensive line coach at Colorado. He was a, uh, they don't call it quality control, they call it an analyst. He was an offensive analyst at Michigan, mostly obviously helping with the offensive line and uh that was an offensive line that won the national offensive line of the year award. So, Hey, there's a good sign. Um, defensive coordinator is Chris Wilson. He'll also coach. And I actually don't think that this was confirmed today, but he, he will coach the outside linebackers. Um, no, it's not in that email. Um, but I mean, that was the one open position. That's the one other position on defensive line Coach he's coach. He's coaching the outside linebackers. Um, Defensive line coach, Vic Sooto, bring him over from USC. Um, that was one where, uh, Lincoln Riley obviously gets the head coaching job at USC. He brings his own guy, his own defensive line coach over from Oklahoma. That leaves Vic Sooto out of a job, but he's another young coach. All these guys are young. Him, Kyle Devan, uh, McGagan is only 42. Clay Patterson is under 40. Mike Sanford is, oh, just over 40, I believe. Um, Then you've got Mark Smith coaching the inside linebackers. I think he's early 40s too. Uh, And Then Rod Chance coaching the corners. He's in his 30s. He comes over from uh, Oregon, basically swapped cornerbacks coaches with Oregon. Um, And then uh, the safeties coach slash defensive passing game coordinator, Brett Maxey, who's been here for a couple years now. So there's your staff. I really like it. I really like it. You know, I, I get the anxiety with the Mike Sanford hire, and, and I have some myself. I think that there is some bust potential there, um, but I do also think that the retread tag can be a little bit too pejorative. Um, and... Uh, real quick, two thoughts. We'll, get, we'll I'll actually talk about Phil McGaggin here soon, but uh, Mike Sanford, he... He got fired from Minnesota and got hired by Colorado. And the truth is, Minnesota is a program in a healthier place than Colorado. And if if he was just barely fired, you know, it was a tough decision. It's like, you know what, we're going to do it. You're just not quite good enough to be the offensive coordinator at Minnesota. Well, that means that he probably is a, a solid option for Colorado, right? like it may not be like the high upside higher but but just like in terms of the standing of these two programs and where they're at you know that 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 does kind of fit right just not quite good enough to be the OC at Minnesota that means yeah OC at Colorado does add up and that is not my favorite line of reasoning to hire a coach I'll say that but just for that reason I do think that that is worth noting on top of that obviously I mean Darren Cheverini really struggled last year we all saw the, the play calling, all that sort of stuff. This is, I think, a very clear upgrade um, from what you had. So there's two pieces. One is, hey, context-wise, just adding up where these programs are, sure, it kind of fits. Um, also, it is an upgrade. It is an upgrade. So you have to like that too. But then the other thing is just that, hey, he's he's a pretty young coach. He's, he's had a couple of stops. Um, stops where he's done very different things. And you expect him to incorporate incorporate those things, you know. Expect him to to kind of use the the RPOs that Minnesota runs more in the way that um, that that he sees fit, and not so much catering it to the way that um the that, that, uh why am I blanking on P.J. Fleck? There we go. Uh, the way that P.J. Fleck wants things done. Um, the the same thing with the way that they they run the ball up there. Um, they they run the ball a lot, first of all, but they use a lot of heavy formations. They'll, they'll throw extra offensive linemen out there. And so I think that you, you like some of that, especially coming to Colorado. You know, the the Utah State, more I mean, straight-up spread system, honestly. Notre Dame is more pro-style under center. Stanford, more pro-style under center. He was only position coach at Stanford, was an OC there. But Boise State, Notre Dame, that's some true under center stuff. Minnesota, more gimmicky. Um... Not gimmicky, that's not fair. But but a lot of RPOs. Too too many RPOs in my opinion. Um and then Utah State in there where there is some more spread. You know, there's a lot of pieces that you kind of blend together, and then remember, he's still only 39. And his best coaching is absolutely in front of him. Is he gonna turn the corner this year? Well, damn it, I hope so. But also maybe not. And would you rather have seen a gamble on whoever else? Yeah. But you gotta remember, that's a gamble. And for a program that, that needs a little bit of stability, th- I don't I don't hate this hire at all, especially because it does come with some upside. Um, I will also say it's not my favorite hire. Um, Phil McGagan, I like. We'll talk about him in a second. But but you throw in there, I mean, Vic Sooto, the path, the 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 just kind of trajectory of his career being so young. Um, Rod Chance, something similar to that. Kyle Devan maybe the most exciting of of all um in my opinion there's a lot of young coaches and with so much youth you should be able to recruit and it should kind of change the vibe of the team a little bit and fire guys up just a little bit more um have a little bit more youthful energy cuz again i always forget that that carl is pushing 60 like you talk to him and it's like yeah this is he always feels like a guy in his 40s to me when i talk to him and then you're like oh yeah you have to remember he is that and so to have some younger coaches I think will really help out in a lot of ways the point is overall with this staff I'm a fan I think that it was first of all very much upgraded again not that not the toughest job in the world but I do think that you saw a lot of upgrades and um, I'm curious I'm curious what they can do this year because I think it's going to be a challenge just given the youth now finally getting to Phil McGagan after an hour Um, Phil McGaggin First of all, played for the Broncos uh, for, for, I think, two seasons, two two to three seasons. No, two seasons. He was two seasons. But they were the final two of the three seasons where Carl Durrell was the receiver's coach. Is that right? I thought he was there longer than that. Um, but, but the point is, Phil McGaggin was a rookie, played a couple years under Carl Durrell with the Broncos, And I'm going to read a couple of quotes that came out when uh, the Buffs made this announcement today. Uh, First one comes from Carl Durrell. He said, I first got to know Phil when he was on the roster with the Broncos and he was in my receiver's room. I remember as a technician of the game, a very detail-oriented guy. He was someone who you felt that when he was done playing could become a really good coaching candidate in the profession. He's done a reputable job at developing players wherever he's been and his body of work is very strong. Um, Two things. First of all, that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, Second, Sometimes in these press releases, teams or organizations or whatever will just kind of make up the, the quotes for their, their coach or their CEO or whatever. Not that one. That sounded just like Carl Durrell. Um so there's that too. Uh but uh what Phil McGagan had to say. Coach Durrell has been a very good teacher. Or Coach Durell was a very good teacher. He was very patient and knew how to develop his players through a positive and calming influence. Uh there were a lot of talented players in that room. And he always found the right way to reach every player. Many of us have remained very close to him for the remainder of our lives, someone we could always count on as we grew older and had families and needed advice, whether it was about our careers or our families. He was always someone who was sincere about caring greatly about his former players. I'm very excited about being reunited with Coach. I believe it's always a goal in life to be able to work for people who know you, trust you, and know what you can bring to the table every day. So it'll be a privilege to work for a man who has integrity like Carl, who is obviously very passionate about football. I love the state of Colorado, so to be reunited with a very special man and a very exceptional place to take on a job that I am really excited about doing its going to be special for our family. So there we go. Uh, a little background. Seems, seems like a nice guy. Interesting perspective, obviously, coming from where he did. And... Uh, Here's, here's how he got to this point. So he started with the Broncos, spent a couple years there, didn't really do much, um, wound up, I think, like playing NFL year up, playing a year in like the CFL or something, and then he gets into coaching. Uh, he starts off in 2007 going to Maine, coaches the receivers and tight ends, winds up the Naval Prep Academy, offensive coordinator there. Um, then he really gets his big-ish break with South Florida, Uh, He's with USF as the receivers coach, 2009, 10, and 11. Goes to the Dolphins, uh, 2012, 2013, 2014. He's the assistant wide receivers coach. No crossover with Carl Durrell, in case you're curious. He was after that. Um, And then in 2015, he's promoted to wide receivers coach for the Dolphins. 2016, uh, he he must have gotten fired or something. I couldn't figure it out. But he goes to East Carolina, uh, and he coaches Zay Jones, Zay Jones, who is now breaking out with the Los Angeles or Las Vegas Raiders. Sorry, um, or not anymore because they are done with the playoffs. which is fun. But um, so after the 2016 season, he gets hired by the Buffalo Bills. And he goes and is the wide receivers coach in 2017 for the Bills. A couple months later... The Bills drafts as A. Jones. He's a second-round draft pick. Um, when he was being coached by uh, Phil McGagan at East Carolina, he set the NCAA record for catches in a season. He led the NCAA in yards and receptions, obviously. Um, he He's a first-team All-American. So they draft him in the second round, reunite him, and then the next year he either gets fired or jumps ship or something, goes to the Chargers. And that's where he's been the last three seasons. Or not the last three, 2018 through 2020. Um, he uh, he coaches obviously Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, some really great receivers some really great passing attacks really um, and uh, then sits out the 2021 season uh, because of some health issues in his immediate family is what the press release said and he was actually urged to do that by Anthony Lynn, um, the head coach down there so um, kind of Interesting path, obviously. Just took this last year off. He's 42. Um, and again, if, if you're looking for reasons that somebody had to drop down from an NFL job to a college job, having to take a year off and kind of give up your position because of health issues in your family and then came back into it, I mean, that's a pretty good one, right? Um, I'm excited to get to know him. I will say that. Um, in terms of resumes... Like it's obviously a very solid resume. He's worked with some really good receivers. He coached Brian Hartline to multiple thousand yard seasons. Um Jarvis Landry, Zay Jones, Mike Williams, Keenan, all that stuff. Um I, but I there's a lot of guys with good resumes, is the truth. Um and we'll see we'll see what he does. We'll see what he does. I'm excited to get to know him, like I said. Um, I'm curious what sort of energy he brings. I'm curious uh, just what the receivers think about him. How does he recruit all that stuff? And it's just kind of tough to say based on a resume. Um, So, yeah, good hire. I will say that. We'll we'll close with that. I do think it was a good hire. Um, I don't have anybody who I was thinking like, oh, wow, they should get this guy. So that makes it a little bit easier to have a good hire because I'm not disappointed they missed out on somebody. But... um, Another, I mean, it fits the mold, right? 30s, early 40s, um, kind of bringing youth to this staff. And we'll see what he can do. We'll see what he can do. That's going to do it for today, an hour plus later. And uh, we'll we'll talk again tomorrow. Hopefully get some basketball tomorrow. Who knows? Maybe Maybe the football world will just be insane again and... We won't get to much basketball, but I'd like to get to basketball. What t- I need to check when these games are. Uh, do the does the men's team Friday or Thursday this week? I don't I don't check that until we get close. And I just realized after today we are officially close. Men play Thursday. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so hopefully we'll get a preview tomorrow. We'll definitely do that, even if there's football. So plan for that. I'll see you then, and uh, we'll talk soon.